Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. About to go on uh, on uh, a a camp for the study that I was doing, and in that, my my daughter at the uh, at the time was really really sick. Uh, she was young, she was sick, and I was up trying to comfort her during that time. And then this sense of peace came over me as I felt God say something really really intimately to me. And He turned around and He said, "Before when you were listening to me, it was convenient for you." I don't want to be just a convenience. I want to be your priority. That was massively impacting for me. main reason why it was impacting for me was because where was I placing God in my life? Was he at the forefront? Was he uh, journeying things with Was I journeying things with him or was I just bringing him along? I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life and I don't know what God is actually saying in your life to be able to accentuate what he wants and where he has placed you and where he has sent you. If there is anything that you need to um, to sacrifice or if it's something that you just need to sit in just for this moment for God to be able to grow you far greater than what you've ever imagined. From that, I started reflecting on the Bible. In that preparation Sunday, what was Jesus doing to prepare his disciples to not just sit in the grief of losing him and then sit in the amazement of him uh, uh, like reappearing before he ascended, but actually sit there and go, no, this is what God, this is what Jesus has sent me to do and imparting what he has actually said. So from, from the calling and gathering of his disciples to his whole ministry here on earth, from the denial of Jesus by Peter to the betrayal of Judah, from the Last Supper to the cross, from, from the empty tomb to revealing of himself, from the resurrection to the ascension, Jesus intentionally journeyed, imparted, taught, taught, nurtured, loved and redirected each one of his disciples in preparation. From the beginning of his journey, Jesus told the disciples that he would make them into something different. In Matthew 4.19 it says, Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Their occupation of catching fish changed into a mission of fishing for people. Each step along the way, Jesus taught them to share with others to connect to God and to minister to those who are in need. During this time with Jesus, the disciples started their process. They individually went through certain stages as each of them started to mature into spiritual adults. During this process, the Holy Spirit brings them through a heart change. In here, it's all about the heart. And in the following stages, they experienced their different things. So the first stage they went through, as Jesus called them, was the plant stage. 
the individual calling and the complete heart decision to surrender their own things. They move from self-centeredness to others-centered. Their focus shifted and they replaced their eyes and their vision with God's. They may not have understood it at the time, but they were able to go on the journey that Jesus invited them on. The next stage they went on to was the grow stage. This was them consciously allowing the spirit to remould and reshape the way that they lived. They reacted and acted in a different way, modelling what was happening within their life. Did they always get it right? No, they didn't. But they were growing into what Jesus was remoulding into their life. They didn't turn around and reject what Jesus was doing, but they pressed into what Jesus was doing, even though they may not have understood it. They started to work through past hurts, learnt behaviours and believed lies in this stage. They became God-centred in their motivation. The last stage was just as Jesus actually sent them, was the harvest stage. In this stage, they started to share what they, what they knew. They started to share the love that they experienced. They started to, to remould the way that they were approaching life in the particular area that they were sent into. They continued to seek and become a vessel for God to work through. And their desire to serve and lead in the kingdom was above all else. Their desire to be able to express and share the love that they experienced tend to be above all. Didn't matter where they were, whether they were working in ministry, uh, whether they were preaching the gospel, whether they were just working where they normally were, they were encouraging and equipping people to be able to be far greater than what they could ever imagine. Jesus used everyday opportunities to train his disciples to serve and to minister to others. One place in the scripture where we can see an example of this is Jesus' intentional leadership in the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, 1 to 13. When you read this, have you ever noticed all the times Jesus had the disciple, had to disciple his minister and minister to his disciples to the people during this event? In this pivotal teaching, Jesus says three intentional things. The first one is, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? This is in John 6.5. When Jesus asked Philip, where could we buy a great amount of bread? He intentionally did this. Philip was known to the area and he knew exactly where to get it from. So he intentionally seeked out Philip and he goes, where can we buy enough bread to feed all these people? Philip automatically started assessing the probable cost and searching for a human solution. Jesus wanted to teach him that financial resources are not the most important ones, but also the very important lesson of allowing God to move through our situation. We can limit what God does in through us by assuming what is and what is not possible. The second thing Jesus said was, tell everyone to sit down. Very simple, but very intentional. 
This was Jesus getting his disciples to become intimate. As they would not have had to stay at the front and just yell out to people and go, sit down everyone, they would have had to intentionally go to groups of people and say, sit down and answer any questions that may have come up. But they would have had to intentionally go out and go approach each group and family and person where they were at to explain what was needed to be done, even though they didn't even know what was yet to come or they were confused with why Jesus was getting everyone to sit down. And the last thing Jesus said was, now gather the leftovers. This was after the miracle happened. Now gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. This was in John 6, 12. Jesus wanted his disciples to have hands-on experience to experience that God provides over and above what is needed in any situation when asked. And that God wastes nothing in our lives in providing for his people and raising the kingdom. During this miracle, the disciples were learning about ministry as well as learning about who Jesus was. Jesus modelled intentional actions in his relationships with people. He gave his disciples hands-on experience in learning to care for others. He didn't just have them sit back and watch him meet people's needs. He got them to do it with their own hands, their own abilities, their own faults. We heard Max just before step into this. He got them actively involved in ministering to people around them in their situation, even to people that they're closest to them. He got them actively pressing into their lives and having an impact and influence into the kingdom of their lives. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus spoke and taught in parables, stories that are relatable with a message that can be imparted into somebody's situation and life that are relatable. Even though Jesus intentionally did this, not only to the crowds but also to his disciples, He also intentionally went deeper when they were alone. We find this in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 4.34 it says, In his public ministry he never taught without using parables. But afterwards, but afterwards, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them taking that opportunity to be able to go deeper, to rip it apart and to make sure the disciples knew exactly what was going on in that pivotal moment. Now, I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know whether it's just the beginning or you're, or you're halfway through or, or you're intentionally seeking what God wants for you to do next. It doesn't matter your age or your ability. But God, I believe God is taking you on a journey that he's wanting to break everything down, explain everything to you. We just need to be intent and listen. Jesus still delights to mystify those who follow him. But he waits until we are alone with him. And then he reveals the wonders of his grace and truth directly into our hearts. Jesus was not just a saviour, but he was also a friend, a teacher a mentor that walked with his disciples for three years 
an intentional three years. During this time, they saw Jesus face almost every situation imaginable. They saw him consistently anchor himself in God's presence through prayer. They watched as he avoided the spotlight and the praises of the crowds. He taught them that in the ministry of God, in the ministry, God is the focal point and he refused to give into any temptation of self-ambition or self-promotion. Jesus led by example. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus is challenged with correcting his disciples in the way that they think, thought, the way that they acted, and the way that they reacted to situations. He used their errors as teaching moments to reveal greater truths of the kingdom of God. The character traits he cultivated in his disciples would later become the truths illustrated in the New Testament as those closest to him told his story and their unique account of the events surrounding Jesus' lives, Jesus' life. There are six major life lessons Jesus taught his disciples in preparation before returning to the Father, and I want to highlight them today. The first one is, and if you've got a pen and paper, make sure you jot these down. Some may be relatable, but some maybe may get you to think just a little bit, and I'm hoping that happens today. So if you've got a pen and paper or you've got your glowing journal, make sure that you write this down. So the first one is, kingdom greatness is measured by humility. In Matthew 18.3, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as little children, as a little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples had become so preoccupied with the organization of Jesus' earthly kingdom, his works, his ministry, that they had lost sight of the divine purpose that surrounded everything. Instead of seeking the place of service, they sought positions of advantage. So it is easy to lose our eternal perspective and be distracted or compelled to make sure our world is safe, especially in times like today, or that we have everything in our life in order for those that struggle with OCD and things like that and have to have everything in line, or put our energy into the earthly kingdom in the way that we live, the way that we love, and the way that we show Jesus for the church benefit, for the kingdom benefit, not out of our own fear, but through the compulsion of showing the love that Jesus has. I love the way the Passion Translation translates this verse in Matthew. It says this, and listen to these words. Listen to these words and take them in. Unless you dramatically change the way of thinking and become teachable. And learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child. <laughs> Having children of my own, I can, say, I can tell the intent when they're learning something that's exciting, that they actually love, that they feel. 
that they are so intent. And it comes on to the next, this next bit and it says, you will never be able to enter it. Whoever continually humbles himself, themselves, herself, to become like this gentle child is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom realm. Spending time with Jesus means having him consistently call you out on your pride, on your arrogance, and ways that aren't contrary to the kingdom growth not only in your life, but the people that you surround and the, and, and the community that you surround. The disciples were fascinated with prominence, with position and with power. They thought that when Jesus became king, his government would rival that of the Roman Empire and that he would overtake, as they understood, by rebellion. Jesus, however, reminded them that the kingdom was a spiritual one and he didn't operate like those of the world. Jesus taught the disciples that humility and a reliant trust on God, I'm going to repeat that again, that humility and a reliant trust on God, similarly to the way children depend on their parents and adults to be able to teach, to be able to influence, to be able to impart and to be able to direct was the true kingdom demeanour for this spiritual kingdom. Our second point for today is violence is not God's answer to sinfulness. When the Sumatran village didn't want to welcome Jesus and his disciples, James and John didn't want to stop at just shaking the dust off their feet, which Jesus told them to do and us in Luke 9.5. They wanted to retaliate by calling fire from heaven down on the people involved. In Luke 9.5, we see Jesus' response. But Jesus turned around to them and rebuked them, saying, you do not realise what your hearts are like. He looked directly into the disciples' hearts, into James's John's heart, and said, you do not realise what your hearts are like. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. Again, I love the Passion Translation. It's just because I'm loving the words and being able to let them impart and, and overtake my life, my spirit, and the way that uh, I'm understanding what God's trying to say to me. And this is what it says in the Passion Translation. Don't you realize what comes from your heart when you say that? doesn't matter what it is, but for James and John, it was them calling down the fire. Don't you realise what comes from your heart when you say that? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life to the earth. Translated from the Aramaic, in a few Greek manuscripts, this verse was, the periscope reveals the mercy of Jesus in this. Although the Sumatrans refused entry to Jesus and his disciples, in the next chapter, Jesus uses an example of the good Samaritan who carried, who cared for a stranger. Jesus saw in the Sumatrans' outcasts a redemptive future. 
which is highlighted in Luke 10. He knew the Father had the grace to change even the most stubborn individuals at that time, and that is true for us today. In an entire Sumatran village, an entire Sumatran village received Jesus through the witness of a woman in John 4, and later, as recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 8, the entire region of the Sumatrans received the gospel. But it all started from this moment that Jesus said, no, that's not the way we react, and had faith that God down here was going to do remarkably more than we could ever imagine. We can never give up on those who seem wayward, who those who seem like they're not of the kingdom, but of their own kingdom. When our backs are against the wall, sometimes it is easy to go back to the way we know, the way we knew, the way we always have reacted. During Jesus' arrest, one of the disciples went for his sword and decided to act violently against the guards that were going to arrest Jesus. Like I said, the disciples' message was rejected in a town full of Sumatrans. And they asked Jesus to call down and destroy the unwilling recipients. In both these cases, Jesus taught that the kingdom of God does not respond in earthly violence, but with the grace of God. Jesus taught them to put down their sword of metal and to draw the sword of the Spirit instead. Our third one for today. Now, I've got it wrong there on the slide, but it is choose your words carefully. They hold a lot of power. Choose your words carefully. They hold a lot of power. In Matthew 12.36, it says, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Sometimes it seems a little bit harsh, but truth, sometimes the truth does hurt. Everyone will be held accountable for every careless, worthless, untrue word they have ever spoken. Jesus reminds us that we, what we say reveals our hearts. The words that come from our mouths is an indication of what our hearts are reflecting. You think that Jesus is trying to highlight, I think that Jesus is trying to highlight to the disciples that just by cleaning up your speech will not just solve your heart's problems, but instead it's the other way around. You need to allow the Spirit to fill your heart first and your new attitudes and motives will then reflect your speech that will all come from the heart. Words are powerful. They shape how we live. And as I said before, the Bible describes that words reveal what truly comes from the heart and what lies in your heart. In Proverbs 15.4, it says this, Gentle words are like a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Jesus often corrected. Jesus often corrected the disciples, not simply for their words, but the motive behind the words that they were speaking. In the Gospels, one minute Jesus is praising Peter for speaking divine revelation, and then the next he's scolding him for the words by saying, 
get behind Satan. Jesus teaches us to choose our words wisely because they will either be an advancing, they would either be advancing the kingdom or allowing darkness to grow. Our fourth one this morning. Make sure you're jotting these down. Earthly riches can be a hindrance to spiritual growth. In Matthew 6, 24, it says this. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. God and mammon. Mammon is the Aramaic term for money. And this is what I'm talking about, is that we can't serve God and mammon. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 6.10, the power of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, some of us, especially in this time, sit there and go, well, that's not my issues because I don't have a love of money. But what if we replace the word money with anything in your life that is not of God? anything that may distract us from experiencing the true life God promises. If you don't fast from the world and the world's wants, you'll never discover the true kingdom of God. Whatever you store up in your life, you'll spend most of your time and energy thinking about and acting on, whether it be consciously or unconsciously. I want you to ask yourself one question this morning. What occupies your thoughts, your time and your effort in your life. There is where you will find what is stored up in your heart and maybe you need to take a moment to think, what is your priority? Where is God in your priority list? There was a rich young ruler in the Bible, this is, that was excited to meet Jesus and approached him with sincere motives. However, when Jesus gave him the command to sell all he had and come and follow him, he walked away in sadness. Jesus illustrated this example and many others that wealth and earthly possessions can impede us allowing spiritual growth. There is a deceptive nature to riches outside of the kingdom that give the ability to become an idol in the human heart, if not prioritised properly. Jesus warned that people will have to choose who or what they serve. So what's your priority this morning? Number five this morning is the condition of the heart matters most to God. In Matthew 15, 7 to 8, says this, the author writes, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. One point that Jesus reiterated over and over to his disciples is that what is in your heart tells the true story about what kind of person you are. 
In Proverbs 4.23, it says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your heart, your life. It determines the course of your life. The kingdom, the kingdom reality exists in the heart of the person and it is there at a, uh, that a person decides whether to, will serve God or will follow the flesh to sin. I'll repeat that again. The kingdom reality exists in the heart of the person and it is there where the person decides whether they will serve God or follow their flesh to sin. Jesus warned his disciples that just because people appear to love God, they can be completely false at their call. Our last thing this morning, this is the last um this is the last uh, teaching that Jesus said. It says this, prayer in private brings power in public. Matthew 5, 6, 5, it says this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in street corners and in the synagogues, in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that it that is all the reward that they will get. Jesus taught that prayer was sincere communication with the Father and that not something that we should be treated like a a spectacle. Jesus cultivated this principle in his own life, stealing away, as was his custom, to go spend time with his Father. After every single thing that he did, he isolated himself to be able to communicate with his father. When Jesus emerged from his private prayer, these were the times that the Lord expelled tremendous power through him. Demons were cast out. People were healed. The dead were raised. And many people were introduced to the kingdom of God. I don't think Jesus is saying not to pray out loud in groups of fellow Christians or fellow believers. But there is a place for that. There is a place for public prayer and there is a place to encourage people in prayer. But to pray only where others will notice indicates your real audience is not God. I think Jesus is highlighting two things here. What are your motives behind when you pray? And the second one is you can't just play pray in public. You need to spend time in isolation with your father, without distraction or without convenience, but with intention, priority, resilience and an openness to be able to receive what God wants you to do. The essence of prayer is not public style, but private communication with your father. It needs to be a priority in our lives. Sometimes, and this is for me as well, back in my past, I used to always just pray when I needed God to show up, not just as a normal communication. I kind of used him like a genie. But God wants to be intimate in every facet of our lives, not just have to or when we need to do something. I've I've highlighted six major lessons that Jesus taught his disciples. In disciples, I'm not just talking about the ones that actually followed him physically, but also us as well as we journey our life as Christians. 
But if we are to make disciples of all nations, as it says in Matthew 28, 19, in modelling and reflecting Jesus, then there is six more things that I would love to be able to impart into your life right now, if you would let me. And it's only going to be quick. I'm not going to break every single one of them down. But if we are going to approach this kingdom and where God has actually sent us, then we actually need to do it right when we are raising the kingdom of God. Jesus did these in preparing his disciples to minister to others. He brought them, Jesus brought them to a place or a situation where there were others who were in need. Jesus gave them real teaching prior to this point. Jesus connected them to God and to each other in community. Jesus equipped them and then released them to do ministry. Jesus shared the truth that was new to them. And the last one, Jesus modelled discipleship to them when they were all together so that they could model it to others. Jesus taught and modelled everything to his disciples, fully expecting them to reach the point that they could make disciples independently. Disciples will always be dependent on God. Disciples is why, sorry, that is why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit when he left them and he ascended to heaven. Jesus led his disciples to become spiritually mature disciples who were able to make more disciples to gain fruit. And that is true for us today. He has led us wherever he's taken us. He has led us to become mature. He's inviting us to become mature disciples so that we can make more disciples to be able to share in the love, the community, and leading up to what's happening this week in in Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. This is the pivotal time to be able to share that, to be able to experience that, to be able to embrace that, and to be able to go and make disciples in all nations. doesn't matter whether we can physically do it, but make a connection in some way, shape, or form. Lastly this morning, Jesus was upfront and honest with what was going to happen to him, predicting not only his death and resurrection, but what was going to happen after all of this occurred. In the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is witnessed to not only, uh, in not only telling his disciples of this prophecy, but reassuring, comforting, and affirming them all before them being sent. He promised that he would never leave by the giving of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He left emblems that remind us of his sacrifice in the partake of communion, which we did earlier today, in the bread being an emblem of his body and the juice or the wine being an emblem of his blood that was shed for the new covenant. He modelled and ensured the path of true life, life to abundance and consequently eternal life. We don't have to wait to pass this life to experience eternal life. We can experience it now. We just need to take that invitation. So not only did Jesus prepare his disciples, he prepared us. Are we going to listen? Are we going to respond 
the way the disciples did. Now, leading in today's message, I was felt on my heart that, that some people that are watching this morning have come to a point where they, they just don't want to just continue life the way it is, but they are wanting a new aspect of life. They are wanting to seek this new truth. So I am going to give an option right now for those that have never accepted Jesus into their life to do that today, to do that this morning, or for those that maybe have accepted Jesus into their life but gone astray and that are wanting to come back, not just because of the things that are surrounding at the moment, but because they are wanting to hear this authentic truth in their hearts and not just their heads, not to just be the fake Christians to be able to sit there and praise and worship from their lips, but to actually experience the life that is promised in the gospel. I want you to be able to say this prayer with me this morning. So pray this with me right where you are in your living rooms or whether it be on your TVs, your laptops, your devices. I would love for you to be able to pray this with me this morning, to be able to join in this. Just as the disciples were invited on an invitation and went on a journey, this is where your journey could start. Pray this with me this morning. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on the cross to rescue me from my sin and death and to restore me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sins, my self-centeredness, and every part of my life that does not please you. I choose you. I give myself to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place as my Lord and Saviour. Come reign in my heart. Fill with, uh, fill me with your love and your life and help me become the person who is truly loving, a person like you. Restore me, Jesus. Live in me, love through me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If this was you this morning, make sure that you gain contact with us, whether it be in the uh, private message to our Facebook page, whether it be through office at cfcpenrith.org. We would love to be able to connect with you in some way. But if this message this morning has impacted you in some way, shape or form, we would also love to hear that as well. I would love to be able to encourage you in any way for you to be able to act on what God is trying to say to you this morning. I would love to be able to come alongside you and we as a church would love to be able to come and embrace that to be able to explore what God is doing in your life, in your community, in your family. Just because we have to be disconnected because of the things that are happening in our life doesn't mean that we have to be disconnected through the Spirit, through what God is doing. So let me pray for everyone as we go into this week and then we're going to have one final song. But thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for fellowshipping with us. And I'm hoping that you are not just impacted by the words and what has gone on this service, but you are able to embrace what God is saying to you individually and to be able to sit in the spirit as he moves through your life. Lord, I thank you that we are able to embrace what the disciples journeyed. Lord, I pray that you impart and give us the wisdom to be able to work through and act on the things that you are actually saying in our lives, whether it be through our talk, 
whether it be through our actions, whether it be through our hearts, whether it be through the, the, the worshipping of forgiveness as well, Lord. I pray that you just bring what needs to happen in our lives individually to the forefront. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay connected in some way, shape or form, guys, throughout this week. And it's been lovely doing church with you this morning. Have a great week and make sure you keep in contact through socials, through emails, and make sure that you can connect with somebody in some way this week. Great doing church with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org